Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. The Hathai. Written by Dicemonger. As a massive generational ship approached the small red dwarf star, it turned around and massive thrusters started firing. 147 years the ship had been in transit. Its frontal ice shield was marred with countless collisions and systems had been repaired, then repaired again, and then jury-rigged and survived the last decades until their destination. But now it was here. Over the next months, it passed first the Oort Cloud around the outer icy planets, and then the gas giants. Day after day, closer and closer to its destination, when even continuing to shed velocity... The destination was unlike Earth in many ways. It was four times the mass of Earth, supporting a respectable gravity. It was also closer to the sun, though given the size of its sun, actually at the outer edge of the Goldilocks zone, which allowed for liquid water. This was somewhat alleviated by its thick atmosphere, which helped trap the sun's heat. Hardly a place suitable for human habitation, even if its atmospheric composition hadn't been pure poison to human organisms. What it did share with Earth was life. What's more, it had intelligent life. It was the fourth confirmed instant of intelligence life that man had uncovered. The first had been a civilization near the center of the Milky Way. Despite the distance it left indisputable signs, once they knew what to look for, Signs like artificially forming wormholes and stars dimming beneath Dyson spheres. Man didn't quite feel ready to attempt contact with them. The second civilization had been uncovered from their radio burst in the Perseus arm. They were believed to be a dead race. The radio beacons, the tombstones over a race which, as far as linguistics could figure out, had succumbed to self-inflicted disease. The haunting music that the beacons had transmitted had saddened humanity and now lived on in human culture. The third had been a scant 120 light years away. The Skillo had sent humanity a message and humanity had answered. When the generation ship left, humanity was still waiting for a reply. But science had revealed no faster than night travel, and 120 light years were too far to send a ship without an invitation. And then, a fourth instance of intelligent life was uncovered, their radio signals strained from the background noise of the universe. And they were close, close enough that humanity could send the ship and see the reaches its destination in living memory. Humanity teased their signals from the Aether, and they learned of the Hathai. They pieced together their language, and then they learned of their music, of their religions and politics, and of their stories. The Hathai were a species bound by their planet by its gravity well, forever unable to leave it. But their stories showed them looking towards the sky, 
their science fiction dreamed of some quirk of physics or miraculous happenstance that might allow them to finally leave their world, to join all the aliens they believe might be out there, and to explore the stars. Humanity decided to give them that miraculous happenstance. Humanity had colonized five star systems using their generational ships. The stars colonized might be a lot closer than the Hathai, but technology was mature. They knew that it could be done, and so a new generational ship was built. And now it was here. As the ship approached the planet, antennas were extended and signals started streaming between the humans and the Hathai below. Vocabularies were perfected, relationships were forged, friendships were made, and preparations were conducted for the final act. The ship reached geosynchronous orbit and stopped there. More conversations were had. The suspense was palpable as more months of preparations proceeded. And then, one day, the ship started lowering a cable from the ship. An enormous spool that formed the center of the ship unspooled slowly, lowering the cable towards the surface of the planet foot by foot. It took a year for the cautiously descending cable to reach the surface. The Hathians caught it and secured it with the anchor station that they had prepared. The first trip to space elevator went down, and the first humans in their exoskeleton stepped out on the surface. They were greeted by millions. The second trip to space elevator went up. It carried only a few humans that had went down, because most of the room was reserved for the Hathian pioneers. And as they stepped off the space elevator, they joined the humans as a space-faring civilization. And in the centuries and millennia that followed, they were together. Through the meeting and merging with the Scilio, the conflicts with the Perseus Federation, the war with the core intelligence, the humans and the Hathai were always together. The humans that had found their aliens, then the Hathai that found the stars. End of story. Story number two. The 1237, written by Alt Cipher. General, Sergeant Wells said from the doorway, President Twooly is here. Good, the General Harani said, looking up from his deck. Please show her in. General stood and walked around the desk, his hand clasped behind his back. General, President Twooly said, when she entered, she craned her neck back and looked at the human towering over her as usual. She only came up to about his mid-thigh of the general, but she never felt small in his presence. Madam President, please come in, the general said. He waved a chair at the president's stubby legs, carried her to it. The general had installed a small sitting area in his office with one human-sized chair and a smaller one more comfortable for the smaller aliens here on their homeworld. How bad is it? President Twitty asked. She had climbed up two steps into the smaller chair and made herself comfortable. The smaller chair was raised up just enough that both parties could speak comfortably to each other without contorting into awkward positions. The general had ordered his people to rework the arrangement seven times before he hit on just the right combination of heights without seeming disrespectful to either. Very bad, I'm afraid, General Hirano said. 
The cannon ships dropped out of hyperspace just 15 minutes ago and are en route. With only saving grace is that they dropped out of hyperspace quite far from here. It'll be a good six hours before they reach firing distance. President Trudy looked down at her feet, dangling over the floor in the human compound. I suppose you'll be leaving us then, she said. No. No? No, the general said. We won't be leaving, at least not all of us. I don't understand, the president said. I had just under 3,000 humans here for what I am responsible. The general said, of those, I have 1,237 uniformed personnel, including myself. The remaining 1,700 plus are civilians. Their uniformed personnel will stay and the civilians will evacuate. They are already packing up and our transports will launch well before the cannon arrive. In fact, we practiced with having no more than 30 minutes to evac, so we're actually a bit spoiled for choice here. But the uniformed are staying. Uniformed personnel, yes, the general said. Yes, they are staying. Me and my soldiers will not be on any transports. But why? You know the cannon have promised and bring death and destruction to my world, the president said. Now they have arrived with a fleet of warships to do just that. You should go. We appreciate what you've done for us, teaching us, helping us prepare ourselves. Cultural exchange. That's not the mission. What? Those things weren't my mission, the general said. Then what was your mission, and why did you do all those other things? My mission is to be a deterrent and, failing that, to die. What? Madam President, the general said, we are here to help you. We've always said that, but our help wasn't the classes or our technology or our medicine. Our help was our lives. The other things were just to pass the time. Since we were here already, we figured we could pitch in. The people of my home world didn't want to get involved in your war with the cannon. The leaders of my people would not force them into such a position. So they hatched a plan. They would send a small contingent of advisors and soldiers to help out the less fortunate. The president started to open her mouth to object, but the general held up his hand. I know, he said. You have a rich culture, and I agree for what it's worth, but I'm telling you how my leaders sold it to the people back home. A few thousand people on a humanitarian mission, more or less. No one could object to that, and no one did. But that was a cover, a deception. Our real mission was always to stand between you and the gun so that the bullets would hit us first. I'm not following... The Gallon are a middling force in the sector. They won't dare war with Earth and her allies. At least, if they're smart in any way, they don't. So, they attack your world, they risk hurting humans. If they hurt humans, there's a good chance that they get a war with Earth. But you are relying on them acting logically, the President said. That they will weigh their options and decide without emotion. Not really, the General said because we knew that they would likely start losing war, or, if not likely, at least possible. Nation-states do that all the time, for a thousand different reasons. Maybe they don't think Earth will really go to war. Maybe they think they can win. Maybe they think that they can take a planet without hurting any humans. Who knows? The specifics don't matter. We all took the risk to come here. 
but you can still leave. You said so yourself. Oh, yes, probably, the general said. I'm sure we could find enough room on the ships, but we won't. Every soldier here knew the risk. Every one of them volunteered for this assignment. Have you never noticed that there aren't any children? Pardon? Human children, the general said. There is no human children here. We have almost 3,000 people, a third of which are female. Yet none, one is pregnant, not one birth, not one child, even after years on this world. Did that not seem odd? We are not accustomed of asking other species mating and procreation habits, the president said. We thought perhaps that you only mated seasonally and were between seasons. No, we mate full time, the general said. But let's not get into specifics. Suffice to say, we dosed every bit of human food with contraceptives. We had set up that giant waste processing plant to keep that out of your ecosystem. That's why it's so over-engineered. It's filtering out a ton of birth control. No one here is having babies. We also made all the women get tested every three months or so, just to make sure no little one slipped through. I'm proud to say that there have been no pregnancies for my three years here. That seems harsh. But maybe, the general said. But again, everyone knew what they were signing up for. Every position here is voluntary. I imagine they searched far and wide for enough humans to take this posting, the president said. I beat out over a thousand other candidates for this assignment, the general said. And that's just one position. The process to select the CEO of the garrison was quite competitive. Much of Earth's military hated what happened to you in the League when you lost two colonies and they threatened an embargo. Why would you care? We've never been much of power, either diplomacy or militarily, not even much of an economic power, really, the president said. We, humans that is, we have a soft spot for defending the defenseless, the general said. We were never a threat to anyone, and the Kellen came across us as bullies. So, sure, there's not really a lot for us to gain here in any sort of measurable way. But there were plenty of us who couldn't stand by and let those jerks destroy you. This, um, this is difficult to grasp, the president said. I believe you, and I thank you. Why do you say that your mission is to die, though? I said my mission was to be a deterrent, and failing that, my mission was to die, the general said. But the reason I say that is if I and my people are killed by the Kellen, there is no force in the universe that will stop Earth from going to war with them. They actually did some kind of study and determined the optimal number of humans that needed to die to kickstart a war like this. The answer was between a thousand and fifteen hundred. Any less, the people would have written it off as a tragedy and ignored it, and any more, and it makes us look unprepared or like we had done it on purpose. But you did do this on purpose. Well, yes, but it can't look like we did it on purpose, the general said. It has to look like we were here for some other reason, and that the terrible cannon arrived and killed us. The president sighed. I suppose there is no talking you out of this, no way to convince you to save yourselves. None at all, I'm afraid. Then, the president said, I thank you for your sacrifice. Your names will live on as great heroes, my people, General. You may have just given us a future. End of story.
And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.